Hello? Hi, it's Robert. Do you want to be on the show? Never call me again. Hello, welcome. My name is Robert, and this is Never Call Me Again. Good afternoon. Darren, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Not too bad. How, um, how's your day been? Busy. You're rescuing me from input, inputting a whole bunch of data into my CRM. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, Not fun. You're welcome. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And you're rescuing me from from not having anything to do and and <laughs> dawdling. I, I I like to dawdle a lot and <laughs> tend to tend to get easily sidetracked by shiny things. Um, I hear you. And so, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things about you. Um, you you were an uh, an athlete, a coach, a, a vice president of sales, and you know, knowing those things about you, the the logical question is, how does how does any or all of that translate to what you do today? Because what you do today is very different. Uh, I'm still the VP of sales for for Triage Now, which is the company that I've I've been with since since inception uh, about eight years ago. Um, I would say there's a lot of parallels in that. Um, you know, sales is not an easy racket. Um, there's an awful lot of, you know, rejections and failures and all of those kind of things. You know, it's tons of work for, um, you know, payoffs here and there. Right. And uh, my athletic career was very, very similar. I traveled around the country playing racquetball for a living. Um, I currently travel around the country or used to pre COVID anyway. Um, travel around the country, show up in a city, put on my uniform, go do my thing for an hour to 90 minutes, and hopefully that yields the results that I want. That That's very, very similar to what I did as a pro racquetball player. So um, any, any kind of athletic endeavor or uh, anything that's difficult, like playing an instrument or being a singer or anything like that, that is something that you consciously choose to do and has its own set of struggles and is a grind to really get anywhere, I think is great preparation for quote unquote life in the real world, because that's, you're going to continue to see more of that. So if you develop a tolerance for those kind of things through athletics or some other endeavor, I think that really pays off in the long run. And, and so Speaking of of your your racquetball, you actually dropped out of college to compete competitively. I did. Um, don't necessarily recommend that for everybody, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, for me, I I was never um, an exemplary student. I did okay. I'm a, a fairly high high IQ individual, so I got away with. Uh, getting mediocre results with minimal effort. And that was my game plan throughout high school and then into college, mainly because I didn't have something specific that I was aiming for. Um, once I have a defined goal, 
I'm very, very structured and I, I have all kinds of work ethic and pain tolerance, et cetera, et cetera, to achieve that goal. But the problem that I really had in college was I didn't have a defined end goal and a diploma that said graduate on it wasn't defined enough for me. So I was going to college in, at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is about two hours north of Phoenix. Um, it fit my lifestyle well because I love to fly fish. So I would sneak out of class and do that um, in the because it was up in the mountains. Um, so I had the opportunity to do that. I was playing tournaments um, probably two or, or maybe even three weekends a month. So um, that was really what I was trying to do was to further my racquetball career and school was just getting in the way. I was borrowing money to be there. I was working two jobs to cover the shortfall of my um, uh, my lack of scholarship and my Pell Grants and things like that. So it was not easy. And I, I just thought that it was really holding me back from putting every ounce of effort I, that I could into my racquetball. So I did not go back after my first year there, moved back to Phoenix, started working at a health club and threw every ounce of time and energy that I had into becoming the best racquetball player that I could. Wow. You know, I, I, I actually used to work at Northern Arizona University. Um, oh, really? I did. Uh, I, and so in my former life, I was a chef and I was the executive chef um, for Sodexo at the time there. At, oh, wow. Yeah. It, it's an, it's, it really is a really cool town and, and it's, a, it's an awesome college. It actually is, I think they have more students than like the the next major college in the in the state um it's a really really neat place um it, i i love flagstaff it's such a cool little town you know it's, it's, it sits at the base of a huge mountain um and which my wife and i go hike mount humphreys every summer um which is twelve thousand six hundred and thirty three feet if i remember what the sign says at the top um and uh you know the weather it when it's when we're sweltering here in Phoenix with 115 degrees, Flagstaff is always quite a bit cooler. And then when you do something like, you know, hike up to the top of the mountain, it's, it's much, much colder. So um, that's always a fun trip. And I have very, very fond memories of my time there. And coincidentally, it, in my own history, um, there was always a big annual racquetball tournament in the summer in Flagstaff every year. And growing up as a competitor before I turned pro, there would be 300 to 350 people that would show up, compete in that high altitude uh, atmosphere, which was very, very different than playing in Phoenix. And winning that tournament took an awful lot of effort. And I always had penciled that in as a goal as an up and coming player. And then when I was able to accomplish that many years later, um, despite having some great wins on the pro tour and things like that, I still cherish the tournament wins in Flagstaff as some of my best racquetball memories ever. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's kind of an idyllic city. It's just, um, it's quaint and it's, 
you know, the thing that I remember when I was there is that everybody had a bicycle and you could get, mm -hmm. you literally yeah. could get from one side of town to another in like 15 minutes. Yep. That was amazing. And so, um, athlete coach, VP of sales, um, do, do you, do you feel a lot of times like you're, you're selling yourself versus the product? Oh, without a doubt. Um, one of the, uh, uh, to give a little bit of context, I, I work with risk managers. That's typically my target audience. I'm on the, my company is a telephonic nurse triage service. And so we deal with workplace injuries. So what we really do is we're the first line of defense for an injured worker on what they should do next, assuming that it's not a life or limb threatening kind of injury. So I'm, but my target audience for the sale is a risk manager. Well, by definition, a risk manager is risk adverse. So if I'm pitching to them a service that they're not familiar with, they are not somebody that wants to be the first one into the pool, so to speak, right? So building rapport and a level of comfort and trust with that person is absolutely vital in my particular line of work. Not every sales position requires that kind of approach. But for me, because what we do is a long-term relationship-based type of approach, and I have to gain someone's trust that I can play fireman if things happen to go sideways and rescue them, um, so to speak, that goes a really long way to having us be their chosen vendor as a partner for that service. Right. It, it seems like, you know, there, and so earlier we were talking about, you know, transferable skills and, and how one thing translates to, to the next opportunity or the next goal. And, um, mm -hmm. it, it really sounds like, you know, as an athlete, a coach and, and, and VP of sales, it, it takes a lot of, um, a lot of self-confidence, um, and a, a lot of willingness to to put yourself out front and, and be very present. And so, you um, you do public speaking and consulting. Let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that all of those things kind of tie together, right? Um, you know, the, I I don't know if if somebody in the in the in the NHL is directly attributed to saying this, but I know that it's a common theme that. If you can't take a joke, you are a joke, right? If you can't laugh at yourself, you shouldn't laugh at somebody else. And so once I kind of got that through my head, that despite all my best efforts, I'm still a human being. <laughs> I still make mistakes. I still stumble over, over my words sometimes or miss a golden opportunity in a conversation uh, to segue into a different piece of information about my company services or if I'm doing a, a public speaking opportunity and somebody asks a question, um, maybe I go off in a different direction than what their question was actually intended. I used to really beat myself up over that stuff. And I had just had to learn the hard way uh, that, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And if I could learn to live with it, then I could stand in front of a crowd, share my story, do my best to help people. And hopefully that would be enough. And I, I'm happy to say that I, I believe at least that, that that has proven to be very true. Have you ever done that while, while you were at the podium speaking? Have you ever forgotten what you were going to say? 
<laughs> yes. Um, especially one of the things I pride myself on is not doing the same canned presentation over and over, but truly doing my best to customize what I'm sharing for that particular audience. And so when I jump from uh, a classroom full of university students to uh, a trade man, a tool uh, trade manufacturers association annual dinner in the same day, those are widely disparate huh. audiences, right? So, sure. Um, and so I, the, the message I was delivering was similar and I, I caught myself going down the path of the, the direction I wanted to go with the students for the nighttime audience at the trade show dinner. Right. And so I kind of had to backtrack and, and um, you know, again, most people who were sitting in the audience, are they a they don't have the script ahead of time so they're not judging you on how well you memorize something or anything like that b most people are scared to death of public speaking so lots of people give you way more leeway when you're at the front of the room than you at the front of the room assume that they would and i have to remind myself of that once in a while too is that you know as the old joke goes for most people public speaking is their number one fear, death is number two. So you're better off giving, you're better off being in the coffin than giving the eulogy at a funeral, right? So <laughs> um, that, you know, that with that thought process, uh, again, giving myself a little bit of, of, of leeway to, to be human and then to also back that up with the understanding that, you know, there's an awful lot of people who would never, ever want to be up here but I'm quote unquote brave enough to do it. And so those pairing those things together m m keeps me from beating myself up when I make a mistake or have to look at my notes because I lost my train of thought or whatever it may be. I, um, I lost my train of thought, um, while I was recording an episode yesterday <laughs> and it was funny because I, I had actually listened prior to, to, to sitting down with that person. I had listened to another interview that they had done. And um, there's a point where they, they lost their train of thought. And, and so then I did it. And, I, and so I immediately <laughs> thought about them doing it. And, and it's going to be, it, and so I left it in the recording. I'm not going to take it out. Um, you know, it happens. It is what it is. Um, mm hmm and so it, it seems like you, you know, one of the things that, that you're definitely, the ideas that you're definitely putting forth is that it's really important to know your audience. And so you've got these two very, very different presentations on, on pretty much the same topic, the same day. How do you, how do you, how do you show up and you're prepared and, and you've, you've got the notes, everything is ready to go. How do you gauge your audience? How do you get to know them prior to... To presenting great question um i think I, I i wrote a blog post not too long ago about that topic it was called um preparedness preparedness is the ultimate confidence builder i, I think it was number 190 um and i used vince lombardi that's vince lombardi's quote and i used his picture and that quote as the picture that i used for that blog post and, and that really encapsulates what you were kind of getting at for me um, I, I, I want to do my homework, right? When I was an athlete, my homework was to be as physically fit as possible. If, uh, most of the time I was competing against people that I had played against before or had at least 
team play. So I had a notebook full of notes on every person I ever faced. And so prior to my competitive opportunity, I did everything to prepare. And so now I do that same thing. If I'm going into the business school at Northern Arizona University or Arizona State University, and there are 300 kids that are going to be sitting there listening to my presentation, A, you know, obviously the message has been predefined what, what the presentation is about, but A, how can I best serve them in that 45-minute window that I have and deliver a message that is going to be meaningful, make sense, be actionable? And so knowing my audience ahead of time, knowing that they're in a business class because their major is business marketing or business accounting or finance or something like that, um, I would tweak the message to fit into that, uh, that particular space. And then flipping the switch for the group uh, that I mentioned about the trade show, trade show, um, or sorry, the um, trade association, the, that was a different audience for sure, much older. Um, the takeaways were, were certainly different, but I met with the organizer of that group ahead of time. I, I looked at that, their local website, their national website. Um, they did me the favor of uh, asking questions or, sorry, um, giving me the opportunity to say, please submit any questions in advance so that I can be sure I touch on these topics during my talk. So that doesn't always happen, but that was really helpful in making sure that, again, I was as prepared as possible for that opportunity and touched on the points that the crowd was looking for me to kind of paint a better picture of. Nice. And and so you're up there, you're prepared, you've, you've had an opportunity to, to, and, and so with the Vince Lombardi quote, you know, it, it's really clear you're, you're drawing knowledge from any and all source and, and making it ap- applicable to what you're doing. How do you, how do you, en- and so you, 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 you know, your audience, how do you engage them? Well, if it's a recurring opportunity, that's a little different. If it's a, if it's a one hitter, so to speak, um, you know, I do my best to put myself on their level for the trade association. One of the questions that came up was I used to be, uh, I, I used to be a worker bee and I've been promoted to management and how do I make the transition from being one of the team to now the guy that's out in front leading a team of people. And that's very much like coaching, right? When I first agreed to, to go and, and help out, air quotes, help out the ASU racquetball team, I didn't think that that was going to be a long-time coaching opportunity. I was coming to do, in essence, a clinic for an hour with some, with some college kids to kind of give them some real basic stuff to work on. And it blossomed from that into a 14-year and counting coaching career with that a, a, an ever-evolving uh, group of students. So for that, for that audience that I was speaking with, obviously, if they feel like they were heard, that's a big way to be connected to me, right? If they feel like their specific question was asked and, and addressed and discussed, that right there is going to help build a lot of rapport. The other thing that I try to do is 
while my life resume may read a little differently than theirs, I do my best to come in and just be a regular guy, right? I've had the great fortune of having these opportunities in my life. And that, but that doesn't make me better or different than all of you guys sitting out here in the audience. So that how I present myself in that fashion, I think also goes a long way because I, I'm not coming in like I'm a, a guru with all of the answers. I'm coming in saying, Hey, here's my thoughts on these. Here's my opinions in my experience. This is what I, you know, I thought or felt about these things instead of here's the answer. You know, this is what you have to do with your life. Next question. Okay. Here's what you need to do to fix things. I, I don't ever take that approach. And so you're, you're coming to them, you know, human to human. Do you get to, yeah. do you get to talk to the students after the presentation? That is by far the most rewarding and exciting thing about what I have been doing in the colleges is uh, I turned 50 this year, so I'm more than twice their age. (laughs) I have to remind myself of that once in a while because it seems crazy to say. But uh, some things that I and, and you and others would take for granted as life knowledge sounds somewhat revolutionary to them sometimes. And so... I'm, I'm relegated to a window of time where I can share a message that's been predetermined what would be the best for everybody. But as knock on wood, every time I've done a talk, I've had kids line up to meet me, introduce themselves, ask me another question, ask how they can follow up, uh, with, with more questions or, or where can they find, you know, podcasts and blogs that I've written and things like that. And so that to me has been the most personally rewarding part of this is to know that I connected with somebody enough in that short window of time that they line up and stand in line to shake my hand and meet me and ask me one more question or ask if it's okay to follow up with some some more questions because an idea that I shared sparked some things that they want to discuss. So to me, that is just fantastic. That is such a huge bonus to every other aspect of speaking. It's, it's my favorite part for sure. Yeah. And so you're, um, I mean, and so yeah, you're standing up there knowing that you're going to, you're going to go down and, and further engage and, and, and it's going to be a little more personable and, and one-on-one at, at one point or another. And, and so these, these, these guys are, they're sitting out there watching you do this and, and knowing the entire time, the distraction in their mind is that, this is what I am going to be doing one day. This is my eventuality. And so you have this, this added pressure of making it accessible, making it very doable and and making it enjoyable. And so they, they have to, they have to be able to look at you and say, I have made the right choice. And, and, and how do you encourage that? (laughs) Well, you know, I, I definitely share uh, the wins and the losses. I think that's really important because in, in the world we live in today, everybody focuses on the wins, right? Social media is a highlight reel of everybody's life. And it, it, so many people are faking it to make it look like they're winning when they're actually really struggling, right? So I, I poke fun at myself. I, uh, and I'll give you an example. Um, I have a, a slide in one of my presentations of one of, not the person, but one of the former Miss Arizona 
uh, winners who went on to the Miss USA contest. I went on one date with one of the contestants who used to be Miss Arizona. And so when I segue into, you know, make sure that you aim big, (laughs) that's one of my things because I'm not uh, a a 6'2", 220-pound model-looking guy, right? So I, I love that analogy because when I met her, she had no makeup on, big floppy sweatshirt, was doing a really bad job of trying to do lunges as part of her workout. And so I was kind of, you know, I kind of made a joke about her wobbling all over the place and trying to do this thing that I do every day. And then I found out she was Miss Arizona. She found out I was the racquetball pro at the club there where she was working out. And so you never know how striking up a conversation with somebody, what that may lead to. And then, so that was, that was a unique quote unquote win. And then I knew we were very, very different people. And so I knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. So the way that I end that story is, oh, by the way, I broke up with her. (laughs) And all I did was preempt the fact that she was going to tell me, yeah, you know, the the date that we went on was nice, but I just think we're very different. And so I I don't really want to go out with you again. I just preempted that by saying that to her. And so my claim to fame, so to speak, is that I, I broke up with Miss Arizona. But the next slide is about a, an abysmal failure that I had, which, you know, not only adds some levity to the whole thing, but also counterbalances something that I was kind of bragging about too, right? And so, um, uh, you know, a, again, I'm just trying to show the human side. I, I've been on the earth longer. So, of course, I have more experiences. and some of those experiences have led to knowledge that I want to share. And, and that's why I'm standing here in front of you. My ideas and opinions are, are just that. Um, I believe there's validity to the things that I share, but I'm not, I'm not, certainly not telling somebody that you should follow in my exact footsteps or you should take my advice as gospel. Because again, it is, it is my opinion and those opinions are formed on my life experiences. That's wonderful. You know, that the wins and losses statement may be one of the most important things that I have learned personally in the, in the last few months. And, and it's, it's, it's one of my favorite messages is you, you definitely have to be willing to do that. What's interesting about the, the, the Miss Arizona story is that, um, you know, I, I think especially for students that is going to resonate because they are looking at a future that is potentially very bigger, very very larger than they are at the moment, you know? And so because yeah. it is, is so much bigger, um, you, you're allowing them to level the playing field and say, that's incredibly attainable. How long you keep it is is right. different and up to you, and and sometimes it's not up to you. Sometimes, um, you know, it's 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 out of it's it's out of reach. It's mm-hmm. you know, but that's the reality, and I and I think that's wonderful. Well, so the, I'll, I'll allu- thank you. I'll illuminate the, the the you know the counterbalance piece that I mentioned there. So my pro tour record as a, as a pro racquetball player is terrible the way this, uh-huh. the pro tour was structured when I played uh, after I got ranked high enough that I did not have to qualify to get into the main draw. I basically showed up 
played one match, lost to a guy that was ranked higher than me, and then I was done. So previous to that, I would have to play sometimes two and three qualifying matches to get into the main draw. So I would have two or three wins and then one loss. Once I got ranked in the top 32 in the world, I no longer had to qualify, but I was immediately playing. When I was at number 32, I played the number one player in the world. I didn't have a prayer of winning that match. And most of the time, I didn't have a prayer of winning a game out of three in a three out of five match against that person. When I got better and got ranked higher, now I was playing guys that were in the number eight to number 12 range. And that was a little bit more attainable in terms of sneaking a game or two off of somebody and, you know, forcing somebody into a tiebreaker fifth game where, you know, who knows, anything could happen, right? But I don't look at my pro racquetball career as a failure, but my, if you just look at my, the stats of my record on paper, it's terrible, right? I mean, it was like, I only had a couple of marquee wins in the six years that I played uh, professionally, and that was about 20 to 24 events a year. So, you know, if you do the math, I'm probably like five or six and 125 as in terms of losses. <laughs> but I got close sometimes. I pushed the number one player in the world to, uh, I, I won a game off of him uh, a couple of different times when we faced each other. Um, I pushed them, you know, Hall of Fame guys to very, very close matches, just falling a little bit short. But, and this is much easier to say now than it was during or immediately after my career. But looking back on that, the journey was, was the real prize of it. It wasn't the destination or the results of it. The process and who I became through that pursuit was the real payoff not the wins and the losses. And that's the part that I try to share with everybody that, you know, if you just look at the microcosm of the statistics, it was not a successful venture. But if you pull back and look at everything that I got to do, I traveled around the country. I, I pursued the one thing that I had dreamed about my whole life and worked so hard to get to. I got to pursue that for six years. I met other famous athletes. I, the guy that I, the trainer that I worked with, uh, here in Phoenix did, was a very well-known trainer for pro athletes. So I got to run 40 yard dashes against, uh, Andre Hastings and Frank Sanders and other NFL receivers. I've caught passes from Donovan McNabb, the quarterback for the Eagles. I have done workouts next to Olympians. I mean, you name it. I have gotten so much out of that experience. But again, if you just dwell on the one thing of the statistics, it doesn't sound like I accomplished very much. It, it sounds like um, you realize it's really important to show up, even if you know that the, the ideal goal that you're trying to achieve is, is almost certainly not going to be achieved. There might be a whole lot of other things that that you you didn't look at that could be achieved and and might actually benefit you so much more and and so so much deeper in the long run. Yes, without a doubt. Yeah, I and and that's you know that's what I mean about the process itself because that journey from a 15 year old kid who went to 
the first tournament that I ever played happened to be a pro tournament. I played in the lowest amateur division in that tournament that I could enter. And I got smashed (laughs) day one hour one of the tournament. I was, I was like, literally I lost 15, one 15, zero and was out of the tournament before most people even showed up and checked in. But I watched the pros play that weekend and made the the determination in that moment, I'm going to be one of those guys. And for the next 10 years, everything I did, every decision I made, every workout that I did, every food that I ate or didn't eat was evaluated against, does this help me achieve that goal? And that kind of single-mindedness and dedication to something, I have learned so much and extrapolated that into other areas of my life that, again, that's what makes that such a, a successful journey in my mind. You know, earlier when we were talking, you mentioned, um, you mentioned in goals and, and, and so in goal has, it's been something that even before you said it today has really been on my mind a lot. And, and I think it's on a lot of people's minds. I think, um, I would imagine that as a student, for instance, um, you would be, you'd be signing up for classes, um, attending, you know, turning in midterms and thinking this right here, this is it. This is where I land. This is what I will be doing. And, um, I think sometimes that can get really heavy. It can be really heavy thinking that I'm about to climb into this box that I'm expected to stay in for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and, and so you talked, you talked about in goal and it, and it sounded, it had that heavy permanence to it, but, but there's also this, this, this incredible journey of meeting people and, and, you know, dating the unachievable woman and unattainable <laughs> woman and, and coaching and, and defeats and wins. And it sounds like you are constantly evolving within your goal. And do you think that's important to evolve within a goal? Absolutely. I, I, I didn't ever labor under the illusion that I could be number one in the world. I started in that sport 10 years later than most of, if not all of my peers that I ended up competing against at the pro level. I didn't touch a, a racquetball racket till I was 15. The guy who was number one of the two guys who was number one during my six year pro tour career, he was, uh, his parents owned a health club and the guy who was the number one pro at the time when he was a little kid was the racquetball pro at his club. And three days a week, he and his best friend took racquetball lessons from the number one player in the world from age six until age 16. Those two guys went on to win every national junior championship, every uh, lots of doubles championships, and then became the dominant players on the pro tour. I did not have that kind of opportunity handed to me. And even if I did, I don't know that I, that I could have you know, followed in that same path, right? Maybe I achieved everything that I was ever capable of and I did it in, in my own path on, you know, in my own time. It's, you know, it's hard to say, right? But the, the idea of an end goal of I want to be in the top 20 in the world is, is what I threw out there. And that was a 10 year, that was 10 years of work to get to the base of the mountain that I had to climb to make that achievable, right? I didn't have, 
I wasn't starting out as a top-ranked junior player saying, okay, now that I've done this, the next step is to go be a, a, a top-level pro player. I made the decision when I was a beginner in the sport. So having in, uh, short-term and intermediate-level goals, win a state championship, um, you know, to, to win a regional championship, to win an amateur championship, those kind of things as intermediate goals, uh, you have to start out with a list and then you have to pivot and adjust accordingly. Maybe you get lucky and it happens faster than you think. Maybe it took two years longer than you were planning, but either way, those aren't failures. It's just part of the journey. And like you said, you have to adjust while you're on that path and make concessions and make changes and and then continue down the journey so that you can achieve the goals that you have. So, you know, I, I, it is a, it is a long arduous path to, to achieve a level of excellence in anything, but you can't look so far down the road that it seems like, Oh, I'll never get there. That is very demotivating. You've got to have something way out in the future to aim at, but you need very attainable short-term and medium range goals to keep you on the path. That that is amazing advice, and and it's incredibly true. I I have absolutely found through through experience that to to be a hundred percent the the way to enter into something. Um, you know, I I had to learn that like a lot of people, um, trial and error, and and dropping mm-hmm. the ball, making a fool of myself. But you you continue, and so you definitely seem like you would be a very dynamic and, and very thorough public speaker. And I, I, I have to wonder, why public speaking? Why, why is it important to you? Why do you do it? Uh, well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that, that compliment. Um, for me, you know, uh, there, I, 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 in, in all candor, uh, there's a little ego tied to it, right? I mean, I, I you know, <laughs> to be completely honest, I, I like being the center of attention. I like being the guy that everyone is focused on that carried over, that was appealing in my racquetball career. And that carried right over into being, you know, in, in sales and walking into a room full of decision makers and standing up in front of the room and having everyone's eyes on me and having the pressure of being able to perform in that kind of situation. And, and that lends itself right into public speaking as well. Um, the other piece of it, though, I have spent 14 years as the head coach of the ASU racquetball team, and I have developed amazingly close relationships with a lot of those kids, and it went way beyond racquetball. I, I, luckily for me, I learned very early on that I recognized as racquetball, uh, and so that became my coaching process. And what I really wanted to do was expand my audience to do that same thing. I, I know that I've had a lot of impact on some of the, some of the kids that have been on the team and I've been to a few weddings and I still get calls weekly from some of, some of the guys and girls that were on the team for life advice or just to check in and say hi, things like that. And I, the opportunity to do that on a much larger scale is very, very appealing to me. And so public speaking was the perfect venue to, to facilitate that. Yeah, and I think it, I think it also 
kind of opens, especially an athlete, or, or if you do something that is is kind of time sensitive in, in age, um, there's a really good possibility you are going to have to, at some point, do something else, either to earn an income, um, stay mm-hmm. busy. Um, and so as, as, you know, obviously as a, as a professional athlete, you could, you know, you could retire at 35 and, and never have to do anything again. But, you know, if you're anything like me, you're, you're going to get bored pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I guess my, my next question would be, um, what's the end, what's the end goal and, and evolution of you as a speaker? Well, just to correct something you, you, you just said, unfortunately, Racquetball doesn't give you the opportunity to retire at 35 and never do anything else. Right, but some other sports we're, might. We're, yeah, we're tennis's ugly cousin. If I would have been in the top 20 <laughs> in the world in tennis, I, that that's absolutely a true statement. Luckily for me, I knew that going into Racquetball, it, money and uh, you know a, a cushy lifestyle afterwards was never really on the table. But I, I knew that going in. Um, so, you know, and you're right, you, you have a, a, a window of opportunity to do that. Again, I was very, very fortunate that I was able to put the rest of my life on hold and pursue this until, uh, I took it to the nth degree and I retired from professional competition at 30. Um, and then, you know, segued into some other things. So to answer your question directly, um, some of that is still to be determined. I, I guess very similar to my racquetball career, I don't, I'm not shooting to be the next Tony Robbins. Um, I, I don't need that level of notoriety. I don't need to own my own island. Uh, you know, all of those kind of things, right? I mean, I, what I'm trying to facilitate for myself is a happy and fulfilling life. And I believe for myself, that public speaking is, is a very, very good way to achieve that. The lifestyle, uh, I, I don't mind the travel. I'm looking forward to getting the chance to do stuff in front of live audiences again in, instead of virtually. Um, uh, the opportunity to be in front of large groups of people and then have follow-up interactions with those people um, is, is very appealing. Um, there are uh, there's a lot of things about it that I really, really like. And it, it's also, it does have the opportunity to be a, a very lucrative career. So in an ideal world, I would be, I guess my medium range goal would be this. I want to get to the point where every speaking engagement I do pays me $5,000. And then I have the opportunity to do some consulting work with a company or individuals in conjunction with the the paid speaking engagement that I did. I would love to write another book uh, about either sales or leadership. Um, I have not ventured into those two areas, but I've written a couple of instructional racquetball books and some other things. So um, I definitely want to do that in this particular space as well. Um, and my, my real target audience is young professionals, either while they're still in college or as they segue into the business world. And so helping that next generation of our future leaders um, and business owners and CEOs and, and people that are coming out of school and eventually going to be in that role, if I could have some kind of positive impact for that group of people, 
Uh, again, there's not necessarily any monetary value tied to that, but there's a lot of personal reward tied to that that maybe can't be achieved in other types of, of, uh, of roles or positions, for example, working for, uh, you know, another company. Right. And so the, the, the follow-up, the consulting is, is, is that, is that kind of a, a reinforcement of, of everything I've just set up here? Um, everything I've conveyed to you, is that your way of saying, is that your way of making sure that it, that it seeps in, that it's put into practice, that any questions that there may be are, are kind of addressed and, and sorted out? Uh, absolutely. It, it, and again, obviously, it's, I, I pride myself on making that as individualized as possible because everybody is obviously very different. And of course, if you're a student versus a, you know already working, that's a very different dynamic as well. But, and I don't know if this is a good idea, but this is how I do it, right? This is my approach. When I go to talk to a company and I get the chance to present to a whole team of people, and then I get to do the follow-up consulting work with a sales team, for example, the group activity is one thing, but when I do one-on-one meetings with people, everything is on the table. If you're struggling at home or, you know, you're, you're, you're a young professional with a spouse and two kids and the pressure of you closing deals to feed the family weighs on you every single day, all day long when you're on the phone making cold calls or doing presentations, that may be the thing that's holding you back, right? You have to separate, you have to compartmentalize those kind of things to be, to not reek of desperation to the client that you're pitching to. <laughs> it could be something as, as, as out of the box as that, versus you are too much of a high pressure salesperson. Here's some tactics that you need to practice and deploy so that you don't chase people away or don't make people nervous about doing business with you because of the way you're presenting yourself or the product or service that you're selling. So I I like the idea that I can kind of be a generalist and even a counselor in some cases when that's necessary in addition to sticking, you know, I guess you could say staying in my lane of making it true sales or, or business consulting. Wow. And so just, just even wrapping your head around what you've just said, um, you really, really have to, to have a good understanding of, of people and, and, and of yourself and, and what has worked and what has not worked. And, how to encourage someone to succeed in a way that is going to be beneficial to them. And and that's a lot. It it is. And I don't always have all the answers, of course. Um, And again, I temper what I say with, look, this is my opinion. Here's something that I've done that worked for me. You could try this. But sometimes what the best advice I can give somebody is to say, here's a book that I read that I really liked and I think this would help you a lot. And that may be it, right? I don't necessarily have to have all the answers, but if I can push somebody in the direction of another resource that may provide things that they're looking for, that in and of itself can be immensely helpful. And again, being 50 instead of 22 or 25, I have read tons of books. I've had a lot of exposure to those kind of things. And so it's, it's, I can, I can pull from my memory banks and my experiences 
a, a book or a podcast or an individual to, to seek out, um, uh, you know, to go to their website or whatever and learn more. And that can be just as valuable as if the answer came directly from me as a plan of action of what to do next. Absolutely. And so they, especially for a student and, and maybe even a business professional, somebody that that's well-rooted, it's, it, and so you can't expect someone to have all the answers. No one's, no one's holding your hand. No one's changing diapers. And, and there is this point mm-hmm. where you, you have to be willing to go out with the tools that you've been given throughout life and find the answer. Yes. And I, I, my target audience typically is not, um, a CEO. Uh, I have a good friend who that's what he specializes in. He does, um, CEO and C level mentoring and he, or C suite level, excuse me, mentoring. Um, he was the CEO of a large, uh, quick serve restaurant chain for many, many years. He was a, the major and sole fundraiser for one of the biggest charities here in the Phoenix area. He knows tons of business owners, um, and he's able to draw on that experience and relate to the CEOs because he stood in their shoes, and he also has a vast resource of other CEOs to tap into if he gets, quote-unquote, stumped with a question. For me, my target audience is somebody that is maybe at my level, at the VP level of sales on down, but in particular, somebody that's new into the business world and a young professional in general. It doesn't matter if it's in sales or not, but because I've spent so much time with their peer group as the coach of the ASU racquetball team, that's a, it's a group of people I identify and, and connect well with. And I've been in their shoes. I've walked down that path of, you know, looking, A, looking for the job or a career opportunity. And then once you find it, trying to get ingrained into that process, drink, drink through a fire hose as you're new at something, navigate those choppy waters until you kind of get your feet under you and have an understanding of what you're doing and what's expected of you. I've, I've done that and I've changed careers and done it in totally different environments and things. So to me, that's a much more relatable audience. So I don't try to be uh, uh, the, the, an answer to for everybody's questions. I try to stick with the things that I know I can directly relate to or have experience in. And I, and I think that helps me, as you mentioned earlier, connect with that group of people. Because again, I've walked that path. I haven't been a CEO of a major company. So I would really be leaning out over my skis, telling somebody in that position what to do. But the people who are the support staff around that person, that's a different story because I, I've played that role myself. Right. I would, I would think that that would, that would be really intimidating. Um, standing up and talking to people who potentially, you know, as CEOs, um, if they don't have all the answers, it's, it's thought that they should. And, and I think that's, that's something that, that maybe you might have to deal with it at one point or another, or probably have is that, Anytime we put ourselves out there, whether it's, it's what I do, what you do, or, or anyone, um, when you put yourself out front, out forward, and people really expect that you are absolutely an authority, you have all of the answers, and, and you should know everything. 
and we know that we we know that's not the case. Yeah, and and the the ones who get in trouble are the ones that pretend that that is the case, right? Because there's always something that you're not an expert in that is some sort of hurdle that you have never tried to clear before, and so you know I I, I definitely think that self awareness and honesty are a huge key to success, and owning up to the fact that. You know, look, I might be driving the bus, but, you know, I'm, I'm still going to stop and ask for directions once in a while. Uh, I think that's a very important part of the equation. Absolutely. You know, the thing is, is, um, and so I'm 52 and 50, 50 as well. I'm, I'm 50 years old. And, um, you know, the thing is, is I, I have learned that the more present I am, the more I put myself out there, the more I attempt to do, um, the fewer answers I have, the, 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 the less knowledge I have. And it's, a, it's amazing to, to, to take every single opportunity in life and learn from it. You know, um, I, I know so, yeah. it is, it is, but I know so much more, so much less than I do know. Um, and, and it, that, I think that in and of itself is really rewarding to, to be able to learn from everything. And so a minute ago, you, um, you, you, you touched on the word, um, expectation. And and so I wonder, provided, um, provided we're able to, to move about a little more freely in the coming year, um, what can we expect from you? What are you doing next? Well, I, I'm in the process of building my brand and, you know, awareness of what I do and how I do it. And so, uh, in my day job, I, I'm sure there will be some, some travel that occurs and I would love the opportunity if I was headed to a conference in Denver, for example, to go a day early and uh, do my own thing where I'm doing, uh, you know, a paid speaking engagement and maybe the start of, of a consulting relationship with somebody. And then the next day, go put on my suit and tie and be VP of sales for my day job. Uh, that would be an ideal scenario for me to be able to tie those two things. Oh, and then stay an extra day because I also bought my, my fly rod with me and go fishing while, for one day while I'm in Denver as well. That would be the ultimate four day trip uh, as a business trip slash um, personal slash leisure trip. That would be the ultimate lifestyle in my opinion. Right. So uh, I hope and I'm actively working towards bringing things like that to fruition. Um, because I have an awful lot of reach into the corporate world in my day job, that is opening up some avenues for me to, to bring some of the other things to the table that I'm trying to do, like the speaking and consulting uh, within those companies. And so I think that that's very achievable, um, but I have not done it yet, obviously, with you know, I'm still fairly new at the game here in terms of the speaking stuff. And uh, there is no travel going on at the moment. Uh, but I do see uh, that changing in the not too distant future. And I'm actively trying to position myself for, for what I just shared. Well, you, you definitely sound really well prepared and, and very capable. Thank you. And so, you know, I, I think given the given the opportunity to go out and 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 just do it, I, man, it just seems like you're really going to 
to achieve. And, and you seem really centered and, and really driven. And I think it's going to be amazing. And so we are, we are at the portion of the show where, and so, you know, this is, this is the podcast is never call me again. And so we are at the play, <laughs> right? It sounds like a trap, doesn't it? You know, I, 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 I will contact, <laughs> I like it. I will contact someone and say, Hey, um, I would, I would love to have you on the podcast. I love what you're doing and, and you build them up and they always come back with what's it about. And, and I think it's less of what's, what's, you know, what's it about than what's that name about? And, and so the name is, you know, we sit down as, as complete strangers, acquaintances mm-hmm. at best, and we have a conversation. And, and throughout that conversation, we determine, do I want to talk to this guy again? Can this guy call me again? And so we are at that <laughs> point, understanding that in the coming year, you are, are potentially going to evolve this um this end goal is, is not for you. And, and so within your goal, you are going to evolve to a lot of really interesting things. And I would love to have you back. So can I call you again? Absolutely. I, I, I've enjoyed this a lot. And uh, I, I would absolutely look forward to that for sure. I would as well. You know, Darren, I think the thing that I, I myself have enjoyed most about this is, is there was this point in the conversation where it was almost like this little epiphany where I realized how incredibly different you and I really are, yet how similar we are. And, and I just thought, wow, you know, here is an individual with very different experiences. There were some similarities. We, we both spent some time at NAU and... <laughs> You know, but here is an individual that I, I've enjoyed, I've connected with. Um, he's taught me some things. We've agreed on some things. We've illuminated each other's thoughts. And it's been an amazing conversation. And I, I really enjoyed having you. Uh, me as well. This has been great. I've, I've done, jeez, uh, maybe 10 or maybe 12 podcasts as a guest so far. And, and this one has been great. I really have enjoyed um, your, your questions were thoughtful, um, which doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's just conversation to see where it leads. And so I, I certainly appreciate you doing the homework ahead of time, but also, you know, lobbing me a question and letting me kind of share my thoughts, um, and, uh, and then expanding on the things that I, that I shared. So this, this has been great. I really enjoyed it. Sir, thank you so much for being here and, and, I look forward to talking to you again. You have been amazing. 